Of course, the crowd wants Reed to go for it. Wouldn't be surprised if he did on fourth down and one. So, anyways, with that, time jerks. Welcome to fourth and one. I'm Todd Palmer, joined by Nick Jacobs. And uh, Nick, um, I mean, it's Monday night football. Uh, are you ready? Are you ready for Monday night against the Giants? Yay. I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to watch the game at home for once. There you go. So that, that'll be nice. Um, and I, I it's going to be tough for me because I'm really going to want to watch the Manning cast, but I'm just going to be <laughs> too hyped for uh, wanting to watch the game itself. So I'm going to end up having to, I got the Manning cast DVR on YouTube TV. So I'll end up watching that after the fact. And we'll see how things go from there. I'm curious to see who Peyton and Eli have as guest on there. So it'll be interesting. Yeah. I'll tell you what, though. I, I do want to I, I, uh, seeing their perspective on Mahomes would be will be pretty cool. That's what I've been excited about waiting for this whole year was just to hear what they thought about Patrick and 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 the new hot topic that everybody's talking about with Patrick in the pocket. <laughs> Sounds like a movie, but <laughs> it's actually <clears throat> that's all I, that's all I kept getting on my coach this most people are, people are analyzing if he's drifting or why is he taking so many steps or why is this happening or that's happening so I deliberately in the coach's film left it to where people can see all the routes develop then watch the end zone cam but it, it didn't matter I mean people people still you know I'm like <laughs> I'm like yeah he's dropping back because he's got to buy all this time for the 15 20 yard route down the field <laughs> it's still not done running whenever you mean Dupree uh, turns around the corner. Yeah. Well, and that's look, I mean, that that's part of the struggles this year, right? Like the offense. Um, I mean, they got this, this shiny new toy with the offensive line. Um, and, and maybe they thought that, you know, they would have infinite time in the pocket now, right? Like something ridiculous, like five seconds. I mean, the so reality much more is, room for activities. Yeah. <laughs> right. But the reality is that you're, you know, on average, a good offensive line buys 2.5 to three seconds, um, uh, you know, per, per drop back. Right. Um, but if you look at the, if you look at the metrics this year, the, the chiefs are actually have the lowest, uh, he, Patrick Mahomes has the least amount of time in, in his career in the pocket. The chiefs average time on a drop back this year is 2.2 seconds. And a lot of that pressure is obviously coming off the edge. Uh, we know that they already made a change at right tackle. I think that this the problems with that that have become apparent relative to Orlando Brown Jr.'s just athleticism to play left tackle um, have have come to fruition. But I mean, Nick, I want you to, if you can, like put that in perspective. I mean, during during the Super Bowl seasons, he was at two point five, two point six seconds in the pocket. That's all time that's allowed to develop downfield, and that's on average, right? This year it's two point two. So what is that? I mean, not only does it, does he just have less time, but the accumulation, the, the 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 way that the clock has to speed up in his head also has an impact on how he performs, right? Yeah. So I mean, with each play that they have in their scheme, and I I posted one of them from back in the Eagles own I am playbook. How I got it? Don't worry about it. Just know that I have it. Um, <laughs> and I, I posted one of the one of the plays, and I'm like, "This is, you know, it was like there's like seven different options based on coverages and everything." And um, and part of it is like they have reads, so like there's progressions to it. 
Like this is the first route you're, this is the primary route you need to look at it, the one, and then the second read, the two and the three and the four. So whenever people always like to say, when they're looking at coaches film and they're like, well, Hardman was wide open on this backside. He may have been the fourth read based on the playbook right. and the way that that coverage is designed that that, wasn't the that's why Mahomes wasn't looking there just like I'm gonna I'm I'm, I'm just gonna go in a little bit of a rage here right now whenever Dan Orlovsky I think that's how you say his name there's a reason he was a career backup and stepped out of bounds inside the end zone boom roasted um and you can say hey I never played in the NFL 100% fact bruh but anyways um, he did the whole little Chiefs offense breakdown and he ran his mouth about how Mahomes should have checked down to Daryl Williams here because, you know, this would have been wide open for 20 plus yards. But here's one. Here's here's something. If I remember correctly, you never played in any read offense. So check yourself where you wreck yourself, Chief. But anyways, um, this was a, to be this was on the Josh Gordon interception, right? Um, no, no, he did. That was one of them, but he had a handful of. Like it was, it was three or four different plays combined. Okay. It wasn't just one, but that, that might've been the Gordon one. Um, I don't know. My rage is so much right now. I can't I, remember. I think that was, I think, and I may be mistaken, but I thought that that might've been the play where Williams actually chipped and, and wasn't even out of his route before Patrick had to scramble to the right. left. And, and that's, and that's what I was, that's what I was getting at before he stole my thunder Todd. <laughs> but, but like whenever I showed the end zone, whenever I saw the end zone last time, like, why did you even use that play on ESPN, dude? Because I mean, literally, like Williams is going to help chip the end before he goes out, and then he stumbles forward. So I mean, I'm like, okay, so you showed a play where uh, he should have checked it down to a running back who was helping on the chip whenever Mahomes took off. So like, I mean, it's just like I, I get that we can sit here and analyze how try to blame it all on Patrick Mahomes and blame it on this person or that person, but. Uh, 90% of us that aren't in the chiefs organization, unless you played for the Eagles and played for Andy Reed, like you don't really know the playbook. I admit, I don't really know the playbook. I don't, you know, cause I'm not, I'm not a part of the chiefs current playbook. I can see the coaches film and I can look at it, but at the end of the day, I mean, the, you know, there's stuff that none of us know about it. And so I, it just, I don't know, man. I mean, what, what I see personally is I see him doing a lot of, a lot of deep passes past 10 yards and, I just don't see as many checkdowns as I would like to see from them. And I just don't see, you know, I, I don't see, I, I don't see comfortable outlets from a homes to where if he needs to step up in the pocket on a regular basis, he has, he has good checkdowns right in front of him instead of the running back out in the flats where he has to turn his body and try to, you know, try to throw it out there. And the ball <clears throat> ends up, ended up short a handful of times, but like, uh, to get back to what you're saying before I had to go on my rant a little bit and unleash the fury. Um, you're welcome. Is Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate that. This is like, this is like my own therapy session. Um, please don't charge me any money. I don't, I don't have any money on me to give you, sir. <laughs> please don't. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, Patrick is sped up in his reads. So when he's going one, two, three, four, he had tackles last year by the name of Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz that he had confidence and was comfortable with and knew that he had the time to kind of stay there or drift back a little bit. He knew he was going to be fine. Now he's learned through seven games 
that doesn't that utopia doesn't exist anymore for him. He didn't have that, but he still has the habit of doing that. So he's having to break himself of that. That may take the whole season to do. You don't know. Like people think you just fix this stuff in one or two weeks and that it's all done and over with. But people go back to habits whenever they've done something, you know, at most or part of their professional or in collegiate career. And, you know, and that, that's just kind of what happens. And it, it takes mindfulness on a regular, regular basis and weekly basis to fix. And that's just not something that's just going to flip on a switch and be done all of a sudden. But even then, I mean, look, the Titans had a really creative rush about how to get to Mahomes. I mean, the way that they were using wide nines and bull rushing in on one side and then looping the guy 12, 11 to 12 yards on the other end to dictate where they wanted Patrick to go on, on most series. And then occasionally they have this one man where they brought three different loops at the chief's offensive line. Patrick saw it and he said, that's not going to work out well. So then he tried, he had to try to figure out how to buy himself a little bit of time until the routes developed. And so it's just, it's a combination of him having to wait on routes to develop and they're going to have to fix that in the playbook to where they're going to need quicker routes and take the underneath. Just go ahead and do it. That's fine. And then they're going to have to do that part of it. But then also, you know, the offensive tackles, I mean, they're, they're going to have to figure out if they need to help them or if they're just going to keep letting that happen. And then Mahomes is going to have to have a conscious effort to try to not drift at times and, it's it's just you know all, all of it combined is just it's a work in progress it shouldn't be this much of a work in progress and i know a lot of national people are getting frustrated at how little the chiefs run the ball but here's here's my rebuttal to it they don't exactly have dynamic dynamic running backs back there that can truly take advantage of it in the way that would force defenses to be like you know we probably don't want to play too deep anymore like you and i talked about they had a kareem hunter jamal charles they'd run the ball a lot and they would yeah. run the ball a lot and it would be fine. But watching Daryl Williams on some of the screens, I mean, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't that fast. I mean, he, you know, there was, there was a massive window that Jamal would have gotten 25, 35 yards. Tyreek Hill would have gotten 40 without a problem. And Daryl Williams was struggling just to get 10 and Clyde would have struggled with that. And Jarek McKinnon hasn't exactly shown the blazing speed that he showed at times during training camp. He showed he was the best running back, but against the Titans on a couple of the couple of the plays out in the open field. It just, it wasn't, it wasn't there. The dynamic ability and explosiveness and running back just, unfortunately it's not there collectively right now. Right. And, and, and you know, so that, that if you can't force the defense to respect your, your ability to, to get chunks in the running game, which Obviously, chunks of the running game aren't as big as chunks in the passing game, right? We're talking ten yard runs versus twenty yard passes. Mm -hmm. But if you can't, if you can't prove to teams that you can do that, that and that you're willing to consistently just run the ball down their throats, you know, pick up first downs and move the ball, then then they're never going to come out of that shell. And and I think too, part of it comes down to play calling, right? Because if you've got, you know, if you've got routes on one side and those are the primary reads that never give you the option for an outlet, you know, it, you know, at some point early in that progression and you're only getting 2.2 seconds in the pocket, you're never getting to that backside. You're never getting the opportunity to get to that third or fourth read and get to that check down. If you, you know, if you're under pressure that quick. Um, and, and so I don't think it means do you, what, let me ask then. So what adjustments do you see coming? I mean, do you think it'll be more a situation where, 
you're going to have maybe more of a deep route or, or a, you know, a deep post that kind of clears some things out with an underneath route. Do they need to go back to some of the crossers and different things like that, that, that they've used in, in some years past to, to some degree of success? I mean, do they have anybody who can fill that role? I mean, can Byron Pringle step up and be that guy to make some plays, you know, um, in, in over the middle, you know, be part of the crossers with Travis Kelsey and, and be a little bit more effective with it. Like Sammy Watkins or some guys like that used to do. Um, him and Josh Gordon are definitely going to need to figure it out somehow and be those guys for him. Because I mean, teams are keying on Hill and they're keying on Kelsey and chiefs are going to have to run routes that clear it out for those two to make some dynamic plays. And there's probably about 10 times a game where they may be able to do that for both of them. But that's, that's about as far as they're going to be able to get them the ball this year, the way things are currently designed. But yeah, no, I mean, they're going to need, a, they're going to need a ton of levels concepts and they're going to, they're going to need a lot of that so that they can kind of be able to create voids that they used to be able to with a lot of defenses. So, I mean, there's, they have a massive playbook where they can attack it. Like it's there for the taking. It's just a matter of being willing to be more efficient and effective and more methodical than what they've been in some weeks and, and, you know, be able to take advantage, take advantage. And another problem is like, there was, there was this one, there was this one uh, play where they ran the reverse with Tyreek and just watching Orlando Brown. I put it on, I put it on Twitter, like just watching him try to, you know, pull in space and just how lumbering it was and just how difficult it was. I mean, Fisher could glide and, and poor Orlando. I mean, I can tell he's, I can tell he's put back on all the weight that he had from last year. Cause it, he's, he's, it's, it's a struggle for him right now. I mean, there's a lot of times out there when I'm watching Orlando Brown, I'm like, I'm like, dude, he looks just like Jared Gaither out there right now. And that's not good. <laughs> so <laughs> it, uh, it, it is what it is. It's unfortunate, but like <clears throat> it, you know, I mean, I wish I had more optimism and hope for a lot of people, but I mean, I, I, the thing is athletic ability on offensive tackles, they either have it or, it takes an entire offseason to try to fix. Like it's just it's not something that I think is gonna get truly fixed in in the next 10 weeks. Well, and and the other problem you've got in this situation, yeah, you invested, you know, first round and some other draft picks, uh, you know, third rounder last year, swap of some later round picks. Um your options with him are limited. I mean, if you want to give it a shot and see if you can get him in shape, get him to buy into a strength and conditioning and nutrition program, get down and see if that athleticism's in there, you could. But to do that, you're either going to have to franchise tag him, which creates some some nightmares in terms of the cap, um, you know, because all that money comes against the cap on the on the one year, um, or you've got to sign him to a multi year extension, which. We've seen how that works out. I mean, you know, with, with Tyron Matthew, when you signed him to a three-year $42 million deal, it worked out pretty well. Uh, you know, when you signed, you know, a, uh, Frank Clark to a big deal, it did not work out so well. So it's a bit more of a crapshoot. You've got to be pretty sure that he's going to be able to, to fill the long-term need if you're going to pay him the long-term money, right? So um, the Chiefs are going to have to figure that out or they're going to have to you know, make the tough call and move on despite the investment they made in terms of draft picks to bring him in this year. And look, we've talked about, he was one of the few options they had as a left tackle in the first place. So, uh, and, and it's a moot point now, whether they should have signed Villanueva or whether they should have, 
you know, addressed it in some other way. I mean, this is, this is where the chiefs find themselves at now. And if you're looking forward, what do you need to see from Orlando Brown to make you feel comfortable in bringing him back at this point? Um, I mean, a big, a big part of it right now is I just, I need to see a much better punch from him. Cause I mean, part of it is with as tall as he is, I just, his bend isn't the best. And, and, and because of that, like he just, there's a lot of times where he'll just stretch out his arms cause they're so long and then just expect the defender to be able to keep the defender disengaged from him and then just ride him 10 yards upfield. Like that, that's just, that's his strategy a lot. So what, what ends know that they can do with him is I just got to beat him at 12, r- stay on his outside shoulder, rip underneath it. And then I can bend back around because athletically he's not going to be able to recover from it. And like that, that's what every guy knows from watching the coaches film. And that's what I could see last year. Whenever I broke it down and or this past year, when I broke it down in March, when he's going against Dupree, I mean, it was as clear as day. There was a, like, he, he wasn't going to be able to keep maintain and keep the corner on a regular basis. So, and especially with the way Pat kind of likes to drop back a little bit more than normal. Sometimes I knew that was going to be a problem. I even tweeted that back in March. Like, I mean, that's, that's what the film showed. And as you know, Todd, the eye in the sky never lies. It so doesn't. when you talk about the punch though, I mean, is that yeah. something, does he need to do that at the line of scrimmage and kind of stun the guy? Or is, is this more of a problem when he gets that, you know, two, three kick steps back that he gets, there's too much distance and his punch is ineffective with those ends. I, I don't, I just don't see a guy that sometimes has a powerful punch. And like you said, it, or what you're alluding to is I, I don't think that he, I just don't see a guy that puts a lot of oomph into it. I just see a guy that puts out, <clears throat> puts out his arms, you know, just puts out his arms and then just tries to, you know, well, keep like a defender Patty. at bay. And it, it just, there's just not, <clears throat> I mean, I, 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 he's a solid run blocker sometimes. So, I mean, like it, there's it, to me, like it's in there and the punch is in there. It's just, I just don't see a guy that, loads up to have that proper pop and i just i don't i don't know if the habits that he had were the best but at the end of the day i mean there's a reason baltimore i mean if he was an elite elite offensive tackle baltimore never would have traded him to Kansas city because it would have made him a better contender right but they knew they knew where his weaknesses were and they they knew kansas City's scheme and they're like okay if you want to trade for him we really love him we really love him we really love him. <laughs> and then, you know, they gave up the first round pick. So, um, yeah. And a third and a third and a fourth. <laughs> I mean, look, I mean, with the fact that they got the Ravens of their second, like I kind of, yeah, I feel like some of that numbers wise is just a wash. For yeah. The most part. No. And they got their sixth in the, in the upcoming draft too. So, so, um, you know, a lot of it does kind of, it's yeah, you know, first round pick for it's him. It's not. It's not like the. Tr- it's not like what Frank Clark's investment was. Like yeah. I mean, Frank Clark's investment. If I remember correctly, he had a first and a second involved. And like those were two high priced picks at a time when, you know, if the Chiefs keep them, hey, you know, you can, you could do some damage in a good way uh, draft pick wise if you select correctly. So it wasn't, you know, and it wasn't. You weren't also guaranteed to give up a hundred million dollars on a contract with it either. Right. So, and here's, here's the reality about it going forward because people keep asking me about the future too much right now, which is never a good sign headed into week eight. Um, 
is <clears throat> when they franchise tag him, it's if they franchise tag Orlando Brown, that's going to end up being 17 to 18 million per year, depending on, you know, that average and everything. So it'll probably be around that ballpark. So if I'm his agent, I'm asking the chiefs for 20 million a year, which is some of the upper echelon tackle money in the league. Cause my client believes he's a good left tackle. We're asking for 20 and you're not going to give us anything below 17 or 18. Cause that's what the franchise tag is. Right. So then that's where the chiefs got to figure out. I mean, what, what they want to do from, from that regard, like you're saying. So I, I just personally, I, I mean, I personally would not feel comfortable paying that amount of money to him at the current production that it's at right now. And I don't know, unless he goes and visits uh, Duke Mannyweather and, and goes to his O-line academy down there, I, I don't, it's, there's, there's a, a big road ahead of him to be able to come this elite left tackle that he, wants to be or believes he is on the bright side. If the chiefs finish nine and eight, they'll get a better draft pick and maybe they can address it in the draft. <laughs> I have not even looked at a single draft prospect to know where, where that, where that situation's at. So yeah, maybe they can get their Rashawn Slater. <laughs> I don't know. Like I said, I'll look at draft prospects in January, late January, maybe February. We'll see. Mid February. Where's your confidence at? Come on, man. You got a super bowl to cover in early February. Yeah, so oh, like late January. Oh, I, I thought the Zoom froze for a second. <laughs> yeah, so like, you know, probably late January, you know, February there. I'll start taking a look at prospects. All right. Before we jump to the, the conversation about the defense, I do want to to ask, uh, there's been some fans who were like, who were like, oh, like, is when does Andy Reid go on the hot seat? Like, should Brett Veach be on the hot seat? Yeah. I'm not answering yes to that. I'm sorry. Am I I'm listening? Am I on crazy pills? Like I get that fans are mad that the team's like three and four. First of all, let's not pretend like the team's zero and seven <laughs> and hasn't been competitive. I mean, they were one fumble away from beating the Ravens. They, you know, they're one, you know, commit three turnovers, not four away from maybe beating the chargers. Like, yeah, I get that they weren't real competitive in that bills game. I get that the Titans game was, was, was ridiculous. Uh, in terms of uh, in terms of their you know they didn't they look like they didn't belong on the same field on that particular day against the Titans. But have people forgotten that these guys were one D Ford offsides away from having been to three straight Super Bowls and probably having won two of them, right? I mean, I I I think Patrick Mahomes in 2018 going against Jared Goff, I I would have put my money on Patrick in that Super Bowl. Like now- here, here's the disclaimer I always use with people when they bring that up. Hypothetically, say the Chiefs make it to the Super Bowl in 2018. I don't think Bob Sutton's gone. <laughs> like, I think you can justify keeping Bob Sutton. So then you don't have Steve Spagnuolo, potentially, and you maybe aren't at three Super Bowls in a row at right. that point. Right, but no, that's a fair point. But still, I'm I mean, just saying, talking, people gloss over that about- one. We're talking about a coach GM combination who has taken you to three straight AFC championship games. That's undeniable. Yeah. Two straight Super Bowls. And I mean, I'm sorry, like like a three and four start isn't enough for me to say, all right, forget it. Let's just blow it all up now. Like have, have Chiefs fans lost their mind or are they just taking this too, too for granted? Because I know that people want like the media to be like tough guys and like hold them accountable and stuff like that. 
guys, I mean, you're not even halfway through the season coming off back-to-back Super Bowl appearances. I, I think it's premature to call for anyone's job. Um, where I think Chiefs fans are coming from on this is they're hurt. <laughs> they had expectations. <laughs> and, those, and as that mad TV skit used to say, you know, with the theme song, lowered expectations. <laughs> um, the, and, and I think a lot of people, I think where a lot of people's frustration came in is like, you and I both were doing this podcast this time almost two years ago, and the Chiefs were not in a Super Bowl position with the defense that they had out there before Mahomes even had the knee, you know, had the right. cap twisted. I mean, you, you and I weren't sure how things were going to go. We saw problems on the O-line and the overall defense, and then they progressively got better in the second half of the season and went on an insane run, and Mahomes bailed them out in the playoffs a lot and made a lot of big plays for them to be able to win the Texans game that they shouldn't have won in a normal time and then be able to win the AFC championship in the, in the manner that they did and then go on to, to win the, uh, the Super Bowl against the, the 49ers. So <clears throat> with those aspects combined, I think people knew that the defense that they won the Super Bowl with wasn't exactly elite. It was kind of a middle of the road team. And the last year's defense occasionally, you know, kind of in the middle of the road, a little bit below at times, but the offense did enough to kind of keep it from being a problem. And then I think fans just saw that there wasn't a ton of investment in the defense to be able to kind of raise up their game and kind of go beyond part of that. Cause part of a big part of that 2019 thing was the two biggest changes that they made is they put Mike Pinnell at defensive tackle and that saved their run defense that year. And then putting uh, Kendall Fuller back there to kind of help out in the in the sub packages, whether it was at safety or at the slot position, those kind of really helped that defense be able to kind of thrive for the rest of that year and go on to win that Super Bowl. And, and so they just they haven't they haven't been able to kind of recapture that in some ways. And I, I think fans have just kind of I guess where fans have a little frustration and agitation in that regard. Now, do I think Brett Veach and Andy Reid should be on the hot seat and all those things? No, no, I don't. But I do think that this roster has deficiencies. And I think that the chief scouting department and Brett Veach and them are all going to have to talk together about what they need to do to be able, if they need to go more athlete and, and not lean as much on coaches film or how do they balance the two of those versus, you know, kind of where they, where they kind of, what they profile as Chiefs players and what they need to kind of, you know, uh, to example where, where I'm kind of getting at is like with Eric Fisher, you look at his measurables, you look at Mitchell Schwartz's measurables athletically, and you kind of have that. And what other guys around the league run are in similar schemes, but what athletic ability they have, what kind of makeup, what build do they have? And then kind of use that as more of the prototype for certain guys in certain positions per se, and so I, I just think in the grander scheme of that, I think that's where they all got to kind of start to evaluate that from a scouting uh, group perspective so that they can hit on a little bit more of the draft picks or have guys make a quicker impact in some regards. So I, I think that's just something that they'll all have to talk about and discuss, whether it's now or in the offseason on that end. And then from a coaching staff perspective, there's probably questions that they've got to ask 
from a coaching, you know, from a coaching vantage point about what they can adjust and what they should change. That's going to help some of these guys improve or get on the field quicker. And then they also need to have the conversations with the scouting department about what this player didn't have and what that player didn't have. And then kind of streamline it a little bit better to where it's everybody can essentially be on the same page in some regard. Cause right now there's, in my opinion, on the field, there's a somewhat of a disconnect between what they think they're drafting for the coaches and what the coaches kind of use quality wise and ability wise. Yeah. And so, I mean, I agree. I mean, I think you look at Bo Peak keys or guys like that. It'd be interesting to see what the, what the thought process there was, you know, whether they said, okay, well, he's got the size, the arm length, the, the, and it's projectable to what we want or, or were they, you know, looking at, you know, just athleticism? Was there something on coaches tape that, that, that attracted them? I mean, that's an example, you know, or Mike Dana, you know, some of those picks are ones where I'd really like to be able to pick somebody's brain and figure out what was the driving force behind making that pick? What made you think that Josh Kando or Cornell Powell would get, was going to flourish in this system? Um, so if the know, chief scouting department's listening, feel free to contact Todd or I at any time. Right. Yeah, will, absolutely. <laughs> we, I would love to have that conversation. Um, all right. Look, I think this should be a get right game for the offense though. Uh, you know, we, we, I think we kind of understand what the problems are. This giants defense though, frankly, and we talked about this, you know, as we were pre-gaming for this podcast outside of Leonard Williams, it's not very good. So it should be a good day for the offense, right? I mean, when I saw on coaches film, it can be, yes. Will it be? I don't know. I don't know who's going to show up and how they're going to execute. So there certainly is an opportunity for the chiefs offense to, to hang 35 to 40 on, on uh, Joe judges giants, if they want to. Um, so, I mean, it's there for the taking. It's just a matter of kind of refining some things so that they can get into a rhythm early. I mean, the biggest thing more than anything else that I think the Chiefs have lost is their their ability to get into rhythm on their first couple of drives. Their first fifteen just haven't looked the same that they used to and looked as looked as efficient. So I'm kind of curious to see how that goes for them going forward on offense, and then. Well, I'm curious to see the defense establish a little bit more of a, a a little bit more tempo, a little bit more of aggression to try to kind of rattle Daniel Jones a heck of a lot quicker than they do some of the other quarterbacks. Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, this is a game where, look, I think the defensive line played better uh, in against the run last week. I mean, did what did you see from that stamp? Did, did were there some positive signs from the defensive line, whether it was Colin Saunders, whether it was, um, you know, Frank Clark, I know he's still not getting sacks and not getting a lot of pressure on the quarterback, but he's still doing some things in terms of setting an edge and defending the run that, that are helpful to this defense. Right. I mean, Clark had a couple plays that he was able to kind of keep Henry contained and kind of blow up the pole. And one of them that I, that I showcased and then, Colin Saunders had some um, – he had some big plays taking on doubles and dropping the knee. And and the thing – I've talked about on the podcast before, but for people that are kind of wondering that may have not listened to those, when I talk about dropping the knee, when a guy's getting double teamed and they're trying to turn you a certain way, you immediately drop that knee so that they can't turn you and you create a pile. So if you're able to drop the knee 
And Don Terry Poe used to work on this all the time. He used to watch Romeo and Don Terry when I'd be at Chiefs practice back in 2011, 2012, just relentlessly work on this. And it was just, and Tim Crumry, because he was the D-line coach at the time, they would just relentlessly work on it. And like, Don Terry got so good at it. And like, but it took, it took thousands and thousands of reps for him to get that good. But to see Colin kind of be able to do that at this stage, like that, that was fantastic to see. And because of that, he was able to kind of let Nick Bolton have a day from the reps that he was in and oh, took and on had those, a day. and take on those double teams. And then Nick Bolton looked like the rock star middle linebacker that some of us were expecting when he's able to actually be able to be in a, in a position he's comfortable and familiar with and be able to flow sideline to sideline and be able to kind of lay the wood and the way that he did. So, and he even looked a little bit more comfortable in some of his dropbacks and coverage just because of where he was on the field. So it, it, that game brought a ton of confidence to him. I'm curious to see what Nick Bolton can do against the Giants and Packers and so on. So that's that's uh, that'll be interesting to me. But yeah, and Juan Thornhill had himself a day too. But in terms of the Chiefs defensive line, I mean Jaron Reed, yeah, he had a couple of plays. Chris Jones had a couple of plays, but I think I think Chris is just trying to battle through his groin and wrist injury that they have listed on the injury report. I think he's just trying to, you know, just trying to play through it in some regard. And so, I mean, but yeah, Nick Bolton, Willie Gay, Juan Thornhill, Fenton, Ward, all I thought had had pretty good days. Yeah. And look, they uh, maybe this can be a game similar to the, the game against the Washington football team because you've got a bad offensive line, a mediocre quarterback, Probably, you know, uh, some, you know, a, a team that's also been decimated with injuries. Saquon Barkley's been out. Kenny Galladay, their big wide receiver sighting's been out. They've had some other injuries. Um, is there anything that this offense does that that worries you, concerns you, that that you think, ma- you know, is a bad matchup for the Chiefs defense to the extent that this Chiefs defense matches up super well, um, you know, in any respect? Or do you think that this can be another game like that Washington game where, it ends up being a, a, a quite a kind of comfortable win at the end of the day. It just comes down to if they can, if they can have the same type of run support and the type of effort in the run game. I did it against Derrick Henry against Booker when they go against him. Like that's that's the only thing the Giants can really counter with is the ability of Booker running the ball. It's not as good as Saquon Barkley, obviously, but I mean Booker did have some success in some of the games I watched. So that's kind of that's a primary point that if the Giants are going to be able to make some plays, they're going to need. They're going to need Booker to shine, and they're going to have to run some play action with Daniel Jones off that. Yeah, and then you just hope that Mike Hughes can find the ball on the in those situations this week. Uh, in all honesty, you're just hoping Mike Hughes is uh, <laughs> only a kick and punt returner every week. <laughs> I was I was kind of setting that up, seeing if you had another rant in you. <laughs> no, I don't have a rant in me on that. He just shouldn't play corner ever. <laughs> um, all right, well. Uh, you got a prediction for this one? I mean, uh, you know, look, Daniel Jones, I think he he was technically drafted higher than Patrick Mahomes. He was the number six overall pick. Yeah, it wasn't the same year, though. <laughs> no, it wasn't the same year. <laughs> Good job. I'm just, saying, Good try. I'm just saying, like, he he was, you know, Patrick went number 10 in the 2017 draft, and and Daniel Jones went number six the next year, so. I don't think that's going to be a driving force in this game in any way, shape, or form, Todd. But that was a that was a solid try to create a storyline. Sure, Monday Night Football is thinking a lot of those right now that they can try to create with them. 
Uh, and curious, actually, I'm curious to see what their animated graphics graphics packages are going to be like. Oh, for for this week, Monday Night Football, yeah. And I'm sorry, he was two years after Mahomes. He was he was 2019, not 2018. Yeah, still doesn't matter to me. <laughs> um, all right. So you got a prediction for this? I don't know. Like I said, I don't know what team is or isn't going to show up. So, like, I mean, I don't I don't know anymore. I just I just ride the wave and see what team comes out there and how focused they are and what type of rhythm they have on offense in their first couple of drives and then. If the defense can make a stop in the first handful of drives and then <laughs> right. go from there. <laughs> well, this is this is the game, Nick. This is the 77 nothing game, okay? Todd, time will tell. <laughs> time will tell. All right. Well, I got nothing else. Um, I, I Again, I, I think the Chiefs should be 4-4. Four and four. Uh, the, the issues with this team run much deeper if they can't beat the Giants at home on a Monday night. Um, you know, and um, and at that point, I, I think you um, just start looking forward to draft position and in the offseason if they lose this one. But I don't think they're going to. I think they'll come out. They'll have a good performance. Um, and then, you know, you'll be looking forward to that Packers game and seeing, you know, um, where the Chiefs are at um, head into a short week to face Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. So, yeah, I thought she was going to have a good performance last week against the Titans. So. Yeah, I, I mean, I did too. I mean, like, look, you know, and we talked about. I mean, that was one. That was Todd. I'm saying they burned me, and they're not going to burn me again. <laughs> I mean, that was honestly that was probably the most disappointing regular, um, you know, regular season game of the Andy Reid era. Um, and I don't even think it's particularly close. Um, you know, I mean, I know they they lost, you know, by more in other games. I know they had that, you know, one in five, one in six start, you know, um, in past years, but. I mean, I, I, you know, I think a lot of people were hoping, maybe think, may, maybe people just convinced themselves the second half of Washington would be a turning point, but certainly I don't think anybody expected 27 to three last week. So uh, I think, I think this has the chance to be a get right game or at least a comfortable win. And then, and then we'll, you know, the chiefs will get back into the, the stretch run before the, before the bye week where they've got the Packers, they got to play at the Raiders and then they host the Dallas Cowboys and, um, I mean, they could be four and seven, you know, coming out of that stretch pretty easily. And, and, and again, you're looking forward to the postseason, or, or maybe they can pick up a couple and people will start saying, you know, uh, hey, this is a team. If they get hot, nobody wants to face them in the playoffs, right? Time will tell, Todd. They burned me too much. <laughs> All right. So basically, I mean, I think Nick expects Daniel Jones to outduel Patrick Mahomes and, and uh, we're all going to be sad Monday night. That's, that's my takeaway. I honestly don't know. Anything's possible right now. <laughs> uh, I, for those who don't know, uh, Nick's middle name is Hedgebetter. Um, so he's living up to his name today. <laughs> right, Todd. I wish I could say it's been a pleasure, but it really has. <laughs> Ouch. That hurts me right here. I'm pointing to my heart. Take care, kids. 